May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm the small groups pastor here at Parkway Fellowship. So glad that you're with us today uh, as we continue in our series, Ordinary to Extraordinary. And this is a series uh, where we are taking a look at Peter, who is Jesus's right-hand man, the leader of the 12 disciples. And last week when we kicked off our series, we saw that uh, Peter was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy, he was a fisherman, and he left uh, his life, everything that he knew, to follow Christ. And uh, we also saw that Peter was actually a nickname that Jesus had given him that meant rock, because Peter was going to be like the pillar of faith and leadership in the early church. And so we're going to continue with his story today. But before we get back to Peter's story, I want to start out by telling you something uh, about my mom. Uh, my mom, I love my mom. I have a great relationship with my mom. She's really like funny and warm and kind. And she's all these great little quirks that like my brother and I make fun of all the time. Uh, but she's awesome. One of those quirks she had for many years made me a little uncomfortable until I put a stop to it and was like, you can never do this again. Uh, you see, my mom is like super social. She loves like catching up with old friends, like high school reunion type stuff. She's just totally wired that way. I'm a little bit more of an introvert, and so I think you'll understand why the story was a little uncomfortable for me. So we were at some event. I, I don't honestly even remember what it was. I think it was like a wedding reception or some big event at church. There were a bunch of people there, and my mom comes across the room. I see her coming towards me with a woman that I've never seen before, as far as I know, and my mom walks up to me and goes, Ryan, look who it is. And I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? Like, I do not know this person at all. And so I'm like, hey, how's it going? Glad to see you. And then this lady says, do you know who I am? And I'm like, ah. Oh. And so I'm like, yeah, man, it's great to see. Yeah, I definitely know who you are. And she saw right through that. So she's like, what's my name? And I'm like, oh, gosh. So I was like, I'm sorry. I really can't remember your name. And it turned out she, I don't even remember her name right now. Uh, it turned, <laughs> so it did, didn't teach me anything. But um, she was like the mom of my younger brother's friend when he was in junior high or some, something like that. I was like, mom, why on earth would you think I would remember this person? And so, you know, it was just one of those crazy situations. And, you know, today we're going to look at a story from Peter's life that's obviously different from that sort of situation. But it was a moment when he was asked, a, you know, do you know who I am type question. And it wasn't like a awkward social situation like I just described. It was a serious, like life-defining moment for him. Because Jesus asked him this extraordinary question. He looked right at him and said, who do you say I am? Who am I? And that question that Peter was asked and the disciples by Jesus is a question that we all have to answer uh, for ourselves, whether we're, you know, seeking God for the first time, or we've known him forever. Uh, we have to have an answer to the question, who is Jesus, for our own personal faith and for being able to impact the world around us. Because like, if we don't have an answer to the question of who Jesus is, we probably have lots of other hidden questions about our faith that are going to turn up probably when we go through something really difficult in our life. It's just going to rise to the surface, and our spiritual growth is going to be stunted if we really don't have a sense of who Jesus is. And also, like, our society is asking this question. 
Who is Jesus? Today, that question is being asked. I see it all over social media. And if you were to survey kind of like books that have been published in the last five, 10 years on Jesus, you would see you know, a wide range of views. In fact, one of the most popular books published on Jesus in the last few years basically asserts that he was just you know, kind of a political rebel that was executed for treason. And nothing more to him than that, nothing divine about him, anything like that. And so this question, who is Jesus, is incredibly relevant for our personal spiritual lives and for our ability to engage with the world who is asking that question. And we cannot assume in 2015 that people know the answer to that question. We just can't. So we have to have the answer to the question, who is Jesus, just like Peter did. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Here's the question that we're going to be asking this morning. What can we learn from Peter's answer to the question of Jesus' identity? What can we learn from that? Well, number one, this is your first fill-in. There is a right answer to the question, who is Jesus? There is a right answer to the question, who is Jesus? Now, before we dive into the passage that we're going to look at uh, today, I want to kind of give you a little bit of backstory here. So, Last week, we saw that Peter left everything to follow Christ. That was the very beginning of his ministry alongside Jesus. And since then, and what we're going to talk about today, months have passed, maybe even more than a year. And Peter has seen some unbelievable things. He's seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead. He's seen, uh, you know, Jesus calm a storm. He's seen blind people be given their sight. All kinds of incredible things. Peter has seen all that happen. And then one day, uh, Jesus gets kind of a moment alone with his disciples, his 12 disciples, and they have this conversation. And that's the conversation uh, that we're going to look at today. It's in Matthew 16. We're going to walk through it kind of piece by piece because there's a lot packed into this passage. So let's jump into it. Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And by the way, that term son of man, that was a term Jesus used to refer to himself. So he's saying, you know, who, who do people say that I am? Continuing in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? I want you to underline that question. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, and I want you to underline Peter's whole answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We're going to pause right there. Okay? So what's going on here? Okay? Jesus, as you can imagine, had massive crowds that were following him everywhere. I mean, you start to, you know, give sight to blind people, that word is going to get out, right? And so people are flocking to him. And he had a moment alone with his disciples, and he's kind of, I imagine he's kind of walking with his disciples, and he's like, okay, all these people who are following me everywhere, like, who are they saying that I am? Like, what, what, what's the word on the street about me? That's kind of the, the conversation that he's having. And so the disciples are saying, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. He, he had actually recently been executed. You know, maybe you're John the Baptist, come back to life, or one of these Old Testament prophets. A lot of Jews at the time believed that these Old Testament prophets from centuries earlier would come back at some point in the future. So people are speculating a little bit about who Jesus is. And I kind of imagine Jesus walking along with his disciples. You know, who do I say I am? They're talking. And then he, he, he stops and just looks right at them and he goes, okay, who do you say I am? And, 
you know, we don't have the exact description of their response, but I kind of imagine the disciples sort of looked at each other like, okay, who's going to say something here? Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then Peter, as he often does, steps up, and he actually gives the right answer, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is an extremely significant thing for him to say. I mean, we're familiar with, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, Christ. Those words are somewhat familiar to us. But that was a very significant thing for Peter to say, and here's why. The word Christ is not a name. Okay, it's not Jesus' last name. It's not like his name was Jesus Gary Christ, okay, or something like that. Christ is a title. It's a word that meant Messiah. Okay, Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word that means the same thing. Okay, so by saying he's the Christ, you're saying he's the Messiah. And what does Messiah mean? Well, that was God's chosen one, his Savior that he was going to send. And at the time of Christ, All of the Jews were expecting that God would send a Messiah to save the people of Israel from oppression and usher in God's kingdom. They were looking everywhere for the Messiah. And so for for Peter to say, you're the Christ, it's like he's saying, you are the long-expected Savior God has always promised us. You're that guy. I mean, that is a huge claim that he made by saying, you are the Christ. And the second thing uh, Peter said is that he's the son of the living God, which you know, according to the Old Testament prophets, the Messiah wouldn't be just some ordinary guy. He would be the Son of God. He would be divine because to be the Son of God in Jewish thinking is to be God. It's, it's, it's a divine term to say you're the Son of God. It, it reminds me of uh, something the great theologian Stephen Colbert once said. Uh, what's the son of a duck? It's a duck, Right? God's son is God. He's divine. It's that kind of thing. And we know from the rest of the Bible that Jesus is absolutely on equal divine authority with the Father. So Peter's answer nicely summarizes who Jesus actually is. He is the son of God. He is the divine, long-expected Savior, the Messiah. And that, it was an unbelievable statement to say that. It would have been very, a very significant moment for Peter to make that declaration. Let's pick up again uh, in verse 17 and see how Jesus responded when Peter gave that answer. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That was Peter's real name. For this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock Remember, Peter means rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's stop right there. So Peter, he was right about who Jesus is, okay? He, he said, you know, that he's the Christ. And Jesus responds by saying, Peter... You are going to be the rock. You are going to be the leader of this early church, and that church is going to make an eternal impact in people's lives. And so he's casting this vision into Peter's life because Peter understands who Jesus really is. Well, he thinks he does at this point. But here, look, here's what Peter's answer means to us, okay? This really matters for us because there is a right answer to the question of who Jesus is. Jesus' identity is not a matter of debate, okay? And I know we live in kind of the age of subjectivity and opinion is truth, but Jesus is not subject to our opinion. Jesus is who he is. And that's what this passage is getting at. Peter was right 
about his identity. And in the same way that Jesus said, who do you say I am? To his disciples on that day, he asks us that same question. We have to answer that same question. So let me just ask you, who do you say Jesus is? And why do you say that? Peter knew the answer because he followed Jesus. I mean, he literally <laughs> followed him around. He knew him personally. He, he walked through life with him. Well, we can't do that. I mean, Jesus is not here in the flesh. We can't like follow him around like Peter. So how do we know who Jesus is? How do we find the answer to that extraordinary question? Who do we say Jesus is? Well, the answer is gonna seem a little obvious, but it's absolutely true. We need to prayerfully and consistently read the Bible, especially the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, those are the first four books of the New Testament. They are the historical records that we have about who Jesus is, about what he said and what he did, and they are the lens that we need to look through when we think about who Jesus is. And when's the last time you read one of those four books? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Was it any time recently? But even if you have read it recently, we have to continually go back to them, to God's word, because otherwise, our view of who Christ is is gonna drift. It's gonna drift away into something else and start looking like something else. It, Jesus will become in our minds some bizarre mashup of like some things we know about Jesus, some anecdotes, maybe a couple of verses, combined with usually our own personal preferences, our political preferences, and our social preferences. And eventually, Jesus can, in our minds, become something that does not resemble the biblical Christ. That's what's at risk if we don't read the Bible and learn about Jesus consistently. So we need to be able to answer that question, who is Jesus, for our personal faith so we know who we actually serve and who we actually worship. It reminds me of a, uh, a tweet that I saw not too long ago by Tim Keller. He's a uh, pastor, best-selling author from New York City. Uh, he tweeted this, and I just thought this was a great way to put it. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. It's pretty good. That's the danger. If we don't take the time to get to know Jesus through a prayerful reading of the Bible, we will absolutely remake him in our own image. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. And so reading the Gospels does that for our own personal faith, keeps us on track, but it also equips us to be able to talk to other people who have questions about who Christ is because we know the answer of who Jesus is. We will have a secure answer to that. And it actually makes me think about um, the video we watched earlier about Operation Christmas Child. They're doing exactly what we're talking about here. They're sending millions of boxes into places where people need to know about Christ. There are many, many, many millions of people asking the question, who is Jesus? Or maybe they don't even know they need to ask the question. And that is exactly what they're doing. And I don't know if you noticed in the video, they talked about the message that goes along with these boxes. And they said, you know, we're telling people that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, it's like exactly the declaration that Peter made in this passage. Operation Christmas Child is literally doing that for millions of people every single year. It's an amazing opportunity to partner with them. But, you know, as I talk about Christ and knowing who he is, it occurs to me that some of you may not know him. You, you know, this is maybe the first time you're hearing much about Jesus and who he is. And let me just tell you that Jesus made you. 
He knows you, he loves you, he knows you better than yourself. And he came to this earth for the purpose of sacrificing himself for your sins. Because God loves us so much, he wants us to be able to have a relationship with him and for there to be no barrier. And our sin is a barrier between us and God. God is a just God and there's a penalty for sin. But we could never pay that penalty on our own. We never could. But God loves us so much, he was not gonna let that be an obstacle. So he sent Jesus to teach us about how to live and how to know God and then to sacrifice himself. And in that one moment of sacrificing himself on the cross, he took on the penalty of everybody's sin for all of time. And if we just place our trust in Christ, in his sacrifice on our behalf, we will be saved. It is a free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough for it. You don't have to get God to like you. He loves you. That's why he already came and did this for you. It's already done. And so if you have not begun your relationship with Christ, I encourage you to do that today. We've actually printed a sample prayer on the back of your message notes. It's not like a magical prayer, but it's an example of the type of prayer you can pray to become a Christ follower, where you just ask God to forgive you of your sins and place your trust in Christ. And the Bible is very clear that if you do that, you'll be saved and you'll have the hope of a relationship with God now and eternity in heaven. It's an unbelievable invitation that God has given us. And so I encourage you today to accept that invitation. Look, Jesus is who he is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we need to know who he really is for our own personal faith and to be able to engage with the world around us. And so Peter had this pretty big win, right? Like Jesus asks this extraordinary question, who am I, who do you say that I am? And all the disciples kind of hang around and Peter says, oh, I think I know. And he sticks his neck out and he gives the right answer and he has this huge win. But then the tone of this conversation is about to change completely. And Peter's gonna go from one of the greatest moments in his journey following Christ to one of his lowest points in just the span of a couple of minutes. Because Peter did not understand something that we all need to understand. And this is your next fill-in, number two. When my view of Jesus conflicts with what he says about himself, I'm the one who needs to change. When my view of Jesus conflicts with what he says about himself, I'm the one who needs to change. We're gonna pick up with our story once again in verse 20. So, you know, Peter has said that he's the Christ. Jesus has praised him and said, you're the rock on which I built the church. Good job, Peter. And then here's what Jesus says next. Verse 20. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And I want you to underline this next sentence. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And we're gonna pause right there. Why is Peter so worked up? Well, at this time in history, Jews were expecting the Messiah. I said that, they were looking everywhere for him. But here's what they were expecting. They were expecting a political figure, uh, a military figure who would come in and overthrow the Romans and literally take control of the world and have a physical 
kingdom that was visible to everybody. That a, a triumphant figure. That's what Jews were looking for. And so if that's Peter's idea of who Jesus is, what's he supposed to do with this statement that Jesus is going to die? What does he do with that? Well, he pushed back is what he did. And he actually lectured Jesus about this. I mean, he, he pulls him aside. That word rebuked, that's a very strong word. I mean, it has the connotations of lecturing or scolding Jesus. It's almost like you can picture Peter almost grabbing Jesus by the collar and saying, no, you are not going to die. This is not going to happen. Peter's view of who he thought Jesus was was in conflict with what Jesus actually said about himself. And Peter didn't understand that that meant he needed to change, not Jesus. He needed to change. Because Jesus was not fitting his preconceived notion of who the Messiah was. And don't we do that with God all the time? We do that with God all the time. I've done that many times. You know, we have this idea of who God is and what he's supposed to do for us. And then when something goes wrong in our life or things don't go the way we would like them to go, we, we get mad at God. You know, God, why are you doing this to me? Thought we had a deal. That kind of thing. And that reveals that we have an image of God that is not lining up with potentially who God actually is. And it's a moment where we need to realign our thinking about God, not the other way around. But I want you to see how Jesus responded to Peter's little attempt to correct him, okay? Pick it up in verse 23. So Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. And I want you to circle those two words, stumbling block. You're a stumbling block to me. And then underline the rest of the sentence. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Let's stop right there. Jesus called Peter Satan. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. I mean, he wasn't saying like Peter was literally possessed, but Peter's desire to prevent Christ from going to the cross actually lined up more closely with Satan's thinking on the matter. That's what Jesus was saying. And, and he, a few seconds earlier, he calls Peter the rock. Like, you're going to be the rock of the early church. And now he's a stumbling block, he calls him. You're still a rock. You're just the wrong kind of rock. You're the kind of rock that's going to cause people to trip up. In a matter of seconds, he went from the rock to a stumbling block. And you know the other disciples are watching this whole exchange, by the way. And they're like, I am really glad I didn't speak up. <laughs> like, I'm going to let Peter take all this heat. But Jesus leverages that teachable moment because they are all watching. And in verse 24, pick it up. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I want you to underline that phrase. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. In other words, if we follow Christ, we yield our whole lives to him. We yield our entire life to him. We actually give up our agendas, our desires. We follow Christ's example because even Jesus didn't focus on like what he deserved. He was God. He didn't focus on what he deserved. He literally took up his cross on our behalf and sacrificed himself. And there's a picture in Philippians, it's a, another book in the New Testament. Uh, picture in Philippians 2, I think it's the most kind of 
complete, self-contained, beautiful picture of who Jesus really is, the significance of his identity, and what that means for us. It's in Philippians 2. Um, It's kind of interesting. Scholars believe that this little section was probably um, one of the earliest Christian hymns that uh, ever existed because in the original Greek language uh, that the New Testament was written in, this section has a song-like quality to it. And I'm going to read this to you. We're not going to underline anything. We're not going to circle anything. We're not going to like take it apart. I just want you to hear these words. Okay? I just want you to listen to them. I want you to let them sink into your heart. Just like wash over you. I don't, if you need to close your eyes, whatever you need to do, I want you to hear these words about who Christ really is. It says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And this is where the song begins. Who, he's talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is the picture of the Messiah that Peter didn't get. A savior who serves. A Messiah who does not focus on what he deserves. A Lord who is exalted through death. That's what he didn't get. And the passage starts out by saying, we're supposed to have the same attitude Christ had. Make ourselves nothing. Serve. And if we don't, we're the the ones who are supposed to change. Because if we don't, we'll go the way of Peter and try to remake Jesus into what we want him to be instead of who he actually is. And I'll say, I, I, I find this story uh, personally inspiring, but also very humbling. Um, I mean, how easy is it in our lives to have like a great spiritual victory moment and then stumble like right after it? And remember, Peter was a regular guy, and this is what we saw just now. He had this great moment where he identified Jesus for who he was, and then he stumbled right after it. When Jesus spoke about his death, Peter was unwilling to go there because of his own preconceived idea of who Christ was. And Jesus' response is really a warning to all of us to never step into the role of defining Christ ourselves. But instead, we're supposed to spend our lives discovering more and more who he is and trying to look more and more like him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time. God, for Peter's story and what it means for us and how important it is for us to have our answer for who is Christ. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, as we search your word, as we pray. God, that you impress impress upon us the truth of who you are and what it means for us and how we are supposed to live our lives. God, you made yourself nothing. You're the creator of the universe. And you loved us so much 
that you humbled yourself to come to this earth and be killed by humans and on a cross. I pray, Lord, that the significance of that would never be lost on us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just impact all of our hearts with the truth of this scripture this morning and show us what it means for us to know you better and to align our lives with your will and to seek after you and to follow your example. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.